Psalm 103, a Psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to and his righteousness to children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all bless the Lord you his angels mighty in strength who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his host, you who serve him doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his, in all, the, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul.
that's what we're here to do. We're here to worship your holy name. We, uh, we thank you for everything that psalm says, because it's true. It's what we depend upon, because, you know, we've hit 2024, and there's been, you know, we'll talk about that in our prayer time a little later, where, we, we, you know, a number of people are hurting already, and so uh, we just are depending upon you. But we're here this morning to worship you and to focus on the truth of these songs, plus the truth of your word, plus to remember your death for us to pay for our sin, which is why we're here. So we just thank you for all of that. Despite of the weather and the, the ice, we thank you that you got us here and just pray now that you bless our time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you want to do a uh, jump up and down, try to stay warm, that's fine. Just I would not encourage jumping jacks. But, uh, <clears throat> all right. Is everybody warm enough? dangerous trying to get there. There you go. Uh, we're this next hymn is one, oops, is, uh, is one of my favorites. Because, uh, uh, man, you know, we hit 2024. I don't know what's going to happen to you. There's a lot of things in the air, right? And, uh, well, I might as well tell you now, Sharon, and I didn't know until yesterday, had spent uh, the week in the hospital with uh, chest pains and high blood pressure. But uh, she came home yesterday and says she's fine now. So I said, can I share this? And she said, sure. So we need to pray for her. Cindy's mom is in the hospital having a stroke or a minor stroke or something to that effect. And so we'll pray for her. She has a blood clot in, in, in the brain and that's obviously not what your blood is supposed to do in your brain. So we pray for her and Cindy and Cliff and the family. I have a dear friend that I, from the pastor's conference in uh, Half Moon Bay, Tim, who has texted me the other day, pray for me, I'm in, the, I'm in the ER with chest pains and all kinds of other stuff. He came home and I got a text this morning, he's still not doing good at all. Uh, Luna got out of the hospital and then we got the text yesterday that she woke up with a fever and congestion. Thank God, though, by the end of the day, she was better, and so they're home, but, uh, you know, they're just beat. And so, it, you know, and it kind of go the beat goes on, but God is good, and, and these songs are what we hang on to, and I've been telling people, I've told a few of you this, uh, in, in one of my readings this week, I, I uh, well, Psalm, in Psalms, and it was Psalm 86, is a great psalm. And there's all kinds of prayer requests in there. For example, God, be gracious to me, your servant. God, make my heart glad. That's a paraphrase. God, give me your strength. Show me your favor. And I thank you for giving me peace. And I thought, man, is that not what we need? And so this is the God that we're worshiping. And this great song gets us started. <laughs>
this new year certainly we have uh, aches and pains you know we have all kinds of things uh, you know Sharon has been in the hospital and she has another uh, cancer treatment a radiation treatment on Friday but uh, you know she's uh, she's wearing down and uh, she's been in the hospital we thank you that she's out but we pray that you take care of her and strengthen her to accomplish the work you have for her. But we love her, and we would love to have her back with us, so we pray for her. We pray for Darlene as she's there in the hospital, I think, in Fremont. And I just pray, Lord, that you minister to her soul and her spirit, and uh, that you would draw her to yourself, and that you would comfort her, and that she would get the help she needs. We know that uh, in modern-day medicine, you know, you can spend a lot of time waiting. And uh, so I just pray that, Lord, you would move in her heart, rather move in doctors' hearts to take care of her. We pray the same thing for Crystal always, that she would get the right help. And uh, so we pray for, for her. I pray for my friend Tim. I don't know what all is going on, but uh, he's a sweet guy. And, Lord, he loves you, and he's, a, he's an evangelist. He, he's very concerned about sharing you with others. So... I pray that you would raise him up and strengthen him and 
We thank you that Luna is doing better. We pray that she will continue so that they can stay home for a while. Help Jordan and Johnny recover from uh, spending almost a month there in the hospital with her. And, uh, you know, and for everybody else that we can think of, that uh, uh, we, we pray these songs and this truth, that you are God, and um, you, you have no beginning or end, and we come to you, we, we depend upon you. Actually, Psalm 90 was written, it appears, by the congregation of the children of Israel that uh, were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because of their sin. And it's, it's, it's a prayer of confession, it's a prayer of, oh God, help, and uh, I like it because I think that's where we are. But we thank you that you are our resource. And in, in like a river glorious is your perfect peace, overall victorious in its bright increase. Love this line, perfect, yet it floweth fuller every day. Perfect, yet it groweth deeper all the way. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised, perfect peace and rest. And Lord, for us, you have given us Jesus, well, for everybody, but especially for us, because we live past Jesus' time on earth, our good shepherd. You know, as David prayed, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I am not wanting. He makes, he's making me lie down in green pastures, and he's leading me besides quiet waters, and he's restoring my soul, and he's leading me in the paths of righteousness. And even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because he's with me, and he has comforted me with his rod and his staff. <laughs> He's preparing, he's, prepared a he's preparing a table before me. He has anointed my head with oil. Therefore, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. That's our good shepherd. And Jesus in John chapter 10 said, I am the good shepherd. Lord, we want to just acknowledge that as we sing, sing it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh,
Father, how glad we are that that is true. Otherwise, how would we make it through even one day? I'm so thankful that you are there watching over me, watching over every one of your children. We thank you for that. Now, as our good shepherd, you lead us, you do a lot of things for us, and one of the things you do is you instruct us. A shepherd is to lead. A shepherd is to teach. A shepherd is to feed. And what we're to do is to feed on your word. So we look today back to our good shepherd feeding us through his half-brother James. And so we come back to our study of James. So Father, just bless our time now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So go to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. It's, uh, it's been a while, but here we go. Back to our study of James. And my clock just disappeared. You don't want that to happen. Now, James chapter 2. So let's read. Actually, I'm going to back up. I was listening to uh, Alistair Begg do this. Uh, he took three messages. We're going to do it in one. But he started his reading up in chapter 1, verse 26. And at first I was wondering, well, what are you doing? And then I realized exactly what he was doing. Because you remember that when you, when you think about the, uh, the New Testament, that uh, when they got it, James wrote a letter. So I don't know about you, but do you put chapter divisions and verses in your letter? No. You write a letter. And so there was no division. So I really think the, the theme kind of picks up in verse 26. He says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows, to have compassion and mercy in, in their distress, to keep oneself unstained by the world. And, as you back up even to verse 25, you don't want to be one that just looks at the perfect law of liberty and doesn't abide by it, then you just leave it. You're like a man looks at his face in the mirror. But you want to be the one who intently looks at it and puts it to use. And then you back up even further, and in verse 19, I love this, you know my beloved brethren, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. So I'm thinking about, last week we saw Jesus as the true vine, his father as the vine dresser, and those, of, those that are bearing fruit, he prunes to bear more fruit. And as we live our lives, and as he demonstrated in John 13, he came to wash the disciples' feet, and Peter wanted a bath, and Jesus says, once you've been cleansed, become a Christian, you don't need to be cleansed, become a Christian again, you just need to confess your sins and have me wash off the feet, that you, the dust that you have collected as you walk through the world. And so as we come to 2024, I believe that's exactly what God is doing. I think God is doing that all the time, but I'm especially aware of it this year. 
I mean, having gone through John 15, in now this, I see, yeah, God is pruning. I know he's pruning you, and, and I know he's pruning me, and I'm sure he's pruning you. And that is why, when we understand that, we can consider it, verse 2 of chapter 1, all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. For number one, your father may be pruning you. Why? To bear more fruit. In John 15, 8, and as we bear fruit, we glorify our Father. And so we know that. We know that the testing of our faith, which is what happens with the trial, what are you going to do in the trial? You're going to curse God and run away and, and, and just forget Him? Or are you going to plead to Him, run to Him, and cling to Him? So he says, knowing that that's producing endurance. And let endurance have its perfect work. Basically, let it happen and follow directions. Just do what your Father is trying to do in you. Just follow what your Good Shepherd is doing in you. And put all this aside that's in the way. And bridle your tongue. Visit the orphans and the widows in their distress. In other words, be merciful and help people in need. And keep yourself unstained from the world. And then he goes right into chapter 2. Like I said, it's a letter, so they didn't know it was chapter 2. So after that, keep oneself unstained by the world. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. You want to know how to stay on unstained from the world? you know what your father wants to prune out of you so that you can bear more fruit? Personal favoritism. Verse 2, For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and you say, uh, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my footstool or literally at my feet. You just sit on the floor. We don't care. You don't merit a good, aside, a good seat. James says, have you not, verse 4, made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Or evil reasoning, evil thinking, and we'll see what that is. Have you not made distinction with evil? Verse 5, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppose you, who personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name of, by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit murder, also said, do not, mur do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you will become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. 
To put it this way, and some writers have said it this way, James is as he writes to a church, and we know that in the church there will be tares. There are believers and unbelievers. There are people that may look like they're saved and they're not. And he's writing to them, explaining to them what true salvation is. True salvation is you putting aside all that remains of filthiness and wickedness and you're receiving the word and you're becoming an effectual doer. And you're, you're, you're bridling your tongue. It doesn't mean we're perfect at it, but this is what we're working on. This is who we are. This is what we do. And we visit orphans and widows in their stress and we keep ourselves unstained by the world and we don't show personal favoritism. So this passage, I, I boiled it down and I've worked at it several different ways. And uh, but So as we come to the communion service, two things that God wants you to do. Something he doesn't want you to do and something he wants you to do. All right, What's, what, he, what doesn't he want us to do? Do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord with an attitude of personal favoritism. That means, well, he explains what he means. Don't you love that? See, if you just stop there, you could make it say all kinds of things. And I've heard some people have actually used that verse, verse 1, to say, look, this is communism. Everybody should be equal. You shouldn't make any distinctions at all. Is that what that, was that what this text is saying? No. What he is saying is if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and a dress and fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and you say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you sit by my footstool, that's what he talked, he's talking about. Favoritism in the sense of judging merely on the outward appearance. <laughs> merely on the outward appearance in making this huge distinction. And basically saying, because you have a fine robe and gold rings, you are worthy of honor. And because you don't have that stuff and look at you, you are not worthy of anything. The idea of partiality is, as one writer says, the fault of one who called on to give, who, the fault on one when called on to give judgment with respect of the outward circumstances of man and not to their intrinsic merits. And so prefers as the more worthy one who is rich, high-born, or powerful to another who does not have these qualities. Or as Vine says, the fault of one, that's what we're talking about here, this personal favoritism, it's the fault of one when responsible to give a judgment with respect to persons rank, popularity, or circumstances of men, instead of their intrinsic conditions, he prefers the rich and the powerful to those who are not. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about looking at somebody's worth only if they are rich, as if money is the, is the, is, is, is the thing. And it isn't. He's not talking about not giving honor to somebody who has a position, right? For example, if, if we knew that, uh, well, it, it may be tough because I don't know if we like our governor, we should pray for him. I don't know if we like our president, we should pray for or whoever it is. But if we know that they were coming to our service, would we not want to give them a nice place? Because why? We are honoring their position. We're honoring their position. 
So it's not wrong to give honor. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us we are to honor all men and to give honor to the king. 1 Peter 2.17 And it's not that we're not to make any judgments. It's just we're to judge rightly. We don't judge somebody just because of, well, we can make a, you know, a judgment, but we don't, we don't um, say that you're either worthy or unworthy of my attention or God's attentions just because you have money or don't have money. That's what's happening here in James chapter 2. Remember Jesus, and people use this as well, you know, okay, yeah, we shouldn't have make any distinctions. Well, that's not necessarily what he's saying. Or you've heard this one, right? Judge not, lest you be judged. I mean, Jesus said it, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verse 1. Okay, aren't we glad that he didn't stop there, just like James 2? Didn't stop with verse 1 or 2, and Jesus didn't stop with verse 1. He explains what he means. He says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Which means you're making a judgment. Which means you're making a distinction. You have something in your life, the log, that is not right, and it's not shouldn't be there, and I've dealt with my life, it's not in my life, so we need to work on this. And then the next verse, do not give what is holy to dogs or to throw pearls before swine or, or they will trample you underfoot and turn and tear you to pieces. So you've got to make that judgment. In fact, in Titus, as Paul wrote to Titus, in Ch Titus chapter 3, verse 9, he says, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning. But see, you're making that judgment based on what he is doing and, and, and his character. He, he's a rebel riser, rouser. He, he's one who just is going to He's just going to get everybody worked up because he wants to cause division. That's why you're making the, the, the uh, distinction, not what he looks like or how much money he's got. Because you realize that we, we have to make those kind of distinctions all the time. That's not what James is talking about. He's talking about we want to be careful about judging basically the book by its cover. Because not every, not every rich person is a nice guy, right? For example, look at the text. He says in verse 5, at the, at the, at the well, verse 6, he says, but you have dishonored the poor man, the rest of that verse, is it not the rich who oppose you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? You're honoring this guy because he's rich, and he's the one who's after you or may be after you. And you're taking the poor man and you're saying, you, you sit here on the floor because you're not dressed properly. You're, you don't have enough money, etc., etc., etc. Look at what he says, verse 5. Well, have you, verse 4, have you not made distinctions among yourselves because you judge 
with evil reasoning. It's not so much motives as just thinking. You're thinking that because you've got money, you're good. Because you don't have money, you're not. That's the point. Jesus says, through, through uh, God says through James, verse 5, Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But, verse 6, you have dishonored the poor man by making that judgment and that distinction in showing personal favoritism to the rich because of what he looks like and what he may be able to give you. And you're neglecting a child of God that God sent Jesus to die for on the cross. You've not only dishonored him as a child of God, and if you're professing to be a brother as your brother, you're also dishonoring God. That's the sin he's talking about. That's what we do not want to do. All right? Yeah, I think you got that. What, are, what does he want me to do? Well, that's verses 8 through 13. And uh, listen to this. Listen to this. Well, actually, go down to verse 12. This is where it says, so speak and so act. So this is what he wants you to do. He wants you not to show favoritism, not to judge people just by they are uh, because, they, because of their money, as if that tells you everything. But he says, this is what I do want you to do. I want you to so speak as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. He's saying, look at you in the church, you believer, realize we're going to give a judgment. We're going to give, we're going to give account to God. Hebrews 9.27 is the point in the man wants to die and after this, the judgment. 2 Corinthians 5, when we die, believers, we're going to stand before Christ and be rewarded for rewards, judged for rewards, not for salvation, but for rewards. There's, there's a judgment coming. And so we want to live our lives in that regard. Find Romans chapter 2. Because it's, it's just important to get this in our heads. We don't want to show personal favoritism to the rich just because they're rich. And take the poor saint that God has saved. In fact, he saves more poor people, right? What did Jesus say in Matthew 19? It's easier for the camel to go through an eye of a needle. And he's talking literal needle, literal camel. He's making a point than to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because they got all this money they don't want to let go of. It doesn't mean no rich people can be saved. It means it's hard because they have all of that to hang on to. While the poor people flock to Jesus. Because they recognize their need. The harlots and, and the sinners flock to Jesus. They recognize they needed forgiveness. Paul says in Romans 2. Let me just begin at verse 1. Therefore you have no excuse every one of you. Who passes judgment. For in that, and again, it's not make no judgment. He's going to tell you what he means. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you judge practices. For, for you who judge 
practice the same things. What he's saying, look, if you're judging somebody for that, how can you judge them when you're doing the same thing? How can you take the log out of your brother's eye when that same log is in your eye? That's what he's saying. We know that the judgment of God, verse 2, rightly falls upon those who practice such things. Or do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice these things, that, and you do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Do you, do you not... Do you think lightly, I love verse 4, of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Why is it God doesn't zap us when we sin? Because he wants us to repent. Why is he leaving the ungodly alive so that they hopefully will hear the gospel and come to him in repentance? But, verse 5, because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Who will render to each person according to his deeds? Now watch this, verse 7. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. And we'll talk about that at the end, so just hang on to that thought. But to those who are selfly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but only unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil to the Jew first and also to the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why? Because there is no partiality with God. He's not judging you whether you're a Jew or a Greek. He's not judging you whether you're rich or poor. He's judging you on, have you, have you received my son, and how are you living? So James says, we need to live in light that that is coming. Right? That is coming. And, and he says, as those who we, back to James 2, as those who would be judged, verse 12, by the, Law of liberty. You say, what is the law of liberty? It's the word of God. Specifically, verse 8, this is in the word of God. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, what is it? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. If you are loving your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to be doing verses 1 through 7. You're not going to be showing favoritism to somebody just because they're rich. And putting the poor man aside, even though he's a child, he's a child of God. You're not going to be doing that. Because you wouldn't want that done to you. Paul in James 5, as he's talking to husbands, makes a, makes a very important point. He's talking to husbands and how they're to love their wives. Ephesians 5.28, Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So we want to take that and are those attitudes to other, that's the way we treat other people. He says if you're doing that, you're doing well. Right? But, James 2.9, if you are showing partiality, you are committing sin. You say, where in the Bible does it say committing personal 
partiality, showing partiality is a sin. Where does it say that? Right here. Plus, you are violating loving your neighbor as yourself. Remember in, in Matthew 22, Jesus summed up the entire law by saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Right? And the second great commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. That's Matthew 22, basically 34 through 40. Matthew 22, 34 through 40. So he says, if you are, are, are showing this favoritism just based on their money, you're not loving your neighbor as yourself. And then you may say, well, big deal. Is it that big of a sin? Watch this. He goes on to say, uh, if you're committing a sin, verse 9, of, stay in James 2, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. You say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Whoever keeps the whole law, you go down to verse 11, he who, he who said, do not commit murder, also said, do not commit, he, <laughs> I, did, I keep doing that backwards. He who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Okay, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you will become a transgressor of the law. Verse 10, because whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he's become guilty of the entire thing. If you don't commit murder, if you're not an adulterer, if you haven't broken any other of God's laws, but you are showing personal favoritism as described in verses 1 through 7, you've broken the entire thing. You're guilty. You see, the law of God is like tempered glass. I remember, I think working on Charlene's car, we replaced the window, the driver's roll-up window. And I had it in, I, I mean, it was really proud of myself. And then there's the piping that goes along the side or, or the, the rubber thing to keep the water. So I was trimming that with some pliers. And unfortunately, I hit, I, I trimmed just a little microscopic piece of that window. One point, the whole thing shifted. And, I, and, and now, now you, you know, if you've ever broken tempered glass, or whatever you kind of call that, it's in a billion pieces. And it's, it, so that's exactly what the law is. It, it stands as a sheet of glass, and if you break one of it, you're guilty of the entire thing. So he says, you are to live, live, keeping the perfect law of liberty, which is summed up as we relate to man, love your neighbor as yourself. So he's going to come in, and you're going to say, well, how would I like to be treated? Pretty simple. Then notice verse 13, very important. Judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Now here's the good news. In, in one of the versions of this sermon was to start at the bottom and work up. But I thought it was kind of confusing as I woke up this morning. And maybe it would have been better because maybe you're confused already. But anyway, here's the good news. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What, he is, he, what he's just said is you need to so live as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. And he has pointed out in this context, what he's talking about is loving your neighbor as yourself, 
So don't show personal favoritism because if you do, you're not loving your neighbor as yourself and you're going to be judged for that. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Why? Because Jesus and God in their mercy sent Christ to pay, to bear your judgment on himself so his mercy triumphs the judgment due you. I mean, what, what a thought. Ephesians. And we've done this enough, so just listen. You, you know where Ephesians 2 is. But let me read it to you again. Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, you too all formerly lived in the lust of your flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh, and were by nature, desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Let me ask you, does that break God's law? Tons of. Are you guilty of, and stand in a place of judgment? Absolutely. And is that judgment eternal hell? Yes, it is. But God, verse 4, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, deserving judgment, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. Because he demonstrated his mercy by sending Jesus to take your judgment. By grace you have been saved through faith. Not of your, not, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one would boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See what he says. You know you, you come to Christ by faith. Right? You know what God does for you? Forgives your sin. Gives you Christ's righteousness. And more importantly for our context today, Romans 5.5, 5, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. You come to Christ, you do that, you receive his mercy, he sends you the Holy Spirit. Part of that is the love of God in you. Because what do you think you're loving your neighbor as yourself with? God's love through you. Because that's not a natural thing to do. The natural thing to do is to show favoritism. The natural thing to do is forget the poor guy. I'm just going to hang out with the guy that has the Ferraris and everything else and the gold rings, taking me to lunch, paying the bill, all that. I mean, forget the poor guy. But when we have the Holy Spirit within us, in God's love, and we see the poor guy, and we realize, oh my goodness, he's a brother. Jesus died for him. It changes everything. It's because of the love of Christ in us. That's how we show mercy. Because of the love of Christ in us. And it's important that we do. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Verse 7, blessed are the mercifuls, for they shall receive mercy. Okay, now if that is all very confusing, 
let me let me punt to somebody who maybe can clear it up. And I don't mind doing this because John MacArthur is a good guy to clear stuff up. Listen to how he ends this section. Quote, When a man lives without mercy to others in God's world, he simply shows off the fact that he himself has never responded aright to the immeasurable mercy of God. The mercy a man has shown others as fruit of a life touched by God's saving mercy will triumph over judgment. His own sins worthy of judgment are removed by God's working in his life, dissolving all the charges strict justice might bring against him. Thus his showing of mercy is not a matter of heaping up personal merit to deserve salvation by his own good works, the mercy he shows is itself a work of God for which he can take no credit. And I think that's what Paul was talking about in Romans 2. As you're doing these things, hoping for a child, you're just demonstrating it's God doing it through you. MacArthur goes on to say, James began, uh, brings us to the climax of his, great, of his great argument. Partiality is inconsistent with Christian faith. Because the Christian faith is consistent with the nature of God. And God is wholly impartial. We read that in Romans 2. Partiality is inconsistent with the purpose and the plan of God in choosing the poor of this world to be spiritually rich. Partiality is inconsistent with loving your neighbor as yourself. Even if we're the, even if we're the only sin a, a person would ever commit, partiality, like all other sins, shatters the entire law of God it makes a person a transgressor condemned to hell forever. If you come before his judgment seat of God and he sees that you have lived a life that is merciful to others, he will show you mercy to you because your mercy will testify to your saving faith. Now, does that mean we're perfect at it and we do it every time the way we should? No. But it means this is what basically we do goes on to say, contrarily, a person who has lived a life devoid of mercy to others will show himself to be without saving faith. Unquote. And that's the whole point of chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. You need to so speak and to so act as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. And part of that is, if you're showing no mercy by not loving your neighbor as yourself, by showing this personal favoritism just because of his wealth and outward appearance, then you're demonstrating God's not even in you. And that's the danger. But thank God that he is in us, and he does live within every believer. Because of what Jesus did for us, you think of the mercy that God spent upon us. And you know, as you look up the word mercy, it denotes Recognizing a need and having a desire to meet it. That's what God did for us. He looked down through time, saw our miserable condition, and he loved us, so he sent his son into the world to become sin for us. And that if we should believe in him, he'll, he'll give us his righteousness. You see, that's the great glory of what God did for us. He treated Jesus as if he had done all of our sin. So as we come to faith in Christ, he treats us as if we had done all of his righteousness. Talk about mercy. That's how he wants us to live. 
certainly in 2024 and until he comes back. Father, we thank you for enlightening us. And I, I, you know, I hope that was somewhat understandable. It's such a great passage of scripture. And uh, it does flow together very well. But I pray as we hit this new year, maybe just think about that. We need to live this year. We need to live every year. We need to live every breath we take as realizing someday we're going to die and we're going to stand before you and our life matters. And what happens for a believer, it matters for a reward. But what also matters is if we live a life devoid completely of mercy or anything that God wants, we're demonstrating we're not His. But when we have it, Maybe not perfectly, but when we have it, we're demonstrating we are, because it's His love in us, through the Holy Spirit, that is being demonstrated. That's what's being said. And Father, today we thank you for that mercy that you have shown us. And we pray that you would help us love our neighbor as we love ourselves, and even as you loved us. Think about those things, and then we're going to partake of the communion service. Because one of the ways I think that we can remember to do this is to remember what God did for us. And that's what Paul says. In the night in which Jesus was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, You partake of this. This is, this is my body, which is, which is broken for you. And obviously it wasn't his real body because his real body was there. So they had taken, they had been partaking of the Passover meal that had all this symbolism to symbolize what had happened. So they understood this is to symbolize my body which will be broken for you to be hung on a cross for you. They didn't get that part till after it was over and the Holy Spirit came. But he said, I want you to partake of this in remembrance of me. And then he, he took the cup and he said, I want you to drink this cup. Many of them in the, in the Passover meal, but drink this new cup. This is to re represent and for you to remember my blood, which in the mercy of God is being shed for you. I'm paying your judgment through my blood. Partake in remembrance of me. As we prepare to do that, let's pray that God will judge our hearts and help us if he convicts us of, of something there that we will surrender and say Lord just have your way have your way thank you for sharing your mercy in Jesus name
Till we're in heaven. But we thank you. Thank you for the mercy of God and the obedience of our Savior to offer his life and take our judgment. And as he gives us his Holy Spirit and his love in us, may we use that to show mercy on others and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Help us do that, Lord. As we take this cracker and remember that it was the mercy of God that sent Jesus to offer his body in place of ours. Let's do this in remembrance of him. Let's take the cup. To remember, as the scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Jesus said, I want you to take this cup and drink it in remembrance of me. This is the cup of the new covenant. This is the cup of the new testament. This is my blood shed for the remission of many. This is the mercy of God poured out upon us as he took our judgment. Father, help us live in light of that. We thank you in Jesus' name.
Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.